Good morning. I haven't met you. My name is Linda, and we're going to read the Bible together. So we're going to read this morning from Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 to 37. If you're following along in the Bibles in front of you in the pew, it's page 1390. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against its health will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, even in this age or in the age to come. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings forth good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Well, good morning. Good to see you all. Um, let me just encourage you as we come to this particular text to have your Bible open in front of you. I don't know how you were feeling as we had that read. Um, it's, it's a bit of a doozy, isn't it? There's some serious things that Jesus says in that text. So I think really good to have your Bible open and I'm going to pray for us that we might understand God's word. Please bow your heads and we'll pray. Father in heaven, we do ask that we would hear you speak to us, Father, by, through your Son, the Lord Jesus. Father, help us to hear him speak, 
and help us to respond in repentance and faith, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to hear again those words of the Lord Jesus that he just said. Uh, Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against, against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. How did you feel as those words were being read? They're kind of awkward words, don't you think? Jesus is actually saying, there is a sin that is beyond forgiveness. There is a sin that, well, not only do you, will you not be forgiven now, but he ups the stakes, doesn't he, and says, but also in the age to come, it can't be forgiven. I've got to tell you, I think these, these are disturbing and chilling words. Now, these couple of verses have actually caused concern for millennia. It seems uh, pretty much since the moment Jesus said them, they've troubled people, they've made them worry. Um, I didn't know this, but apparently John Bunyan wrote uh, Pilgrim's Progress as he was struggling with the idea that maybe I've committed the unforgivable sin. Maybe I'm outside the grace of God. And so Pilgrim's Progress was written in that struggle. And there are actually stories in church history from the early church right through to the Puritans of people wrestling with this idea, the uncomfortable idea, maybe, just maybe, I have done it. I've committed the unforgivable sin. I'm beyond the grace of God. Uh, But maybe not so much today. You might be thinking that might have been true for the Puritans, but not us. We're kind of not those guilty kind of people, not so fearful. Um, I thought maybe that's true. I had a look on the internet just to confirm if this was still a thing. I can tell you it is still a very big thing. Um, I saw post after post after post of people burdened by this text, terrified that maybe they'd done it. I wonder if part of the reason we feel so uncomfortable is because forgiveness is just a core part of the Christian gospel. It's the thing that we're on about, isn't it? And so when you hear Jesus himself say these words far out, when Jesus says there is a sin that can't be forgiven, boy, that is uncomfortable. So friends, what we're doing today is we're going to look at that. Uh, We're going to dive straight into that. We're going to look at it and try and put it into the flow of Matthew's gospel so that we can truly come to grips with what Jesus is saying And I want to just give you a heads up that hopefully as we do that, there will be some comfort for those of us with troubled consciences. I hope that that's what happens. But at the same time, uh, let me give you a warning that this is one of those passages that I don't think leaves you completely comfortable. At the heart of these uncomfortable verses is the question of where you stand with Jesus. Where are you with him? And your answer to that question is going to determine the way that you respond to these few verses. So friends, come with me. Uh, We're going to have a look at the context first. So the context for Jesus concerning words is this debate between with the Pharisees. And he is talking and debating with them about these two kingdoms. There's a kind of a clash of kingdoms going on. His kingdom and the kingdom of evil. Uh, Actually, if you have a look at verse 22, you'll see that Jesus heals a man who is demon-possessed. He powerfully removes the demon and restores the man. Verse 22, then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and they said, could this be the son of David? 
Now, this is not an uncommon moment in the Gospels. There is more than one story of Jesus casting out evil spirits. And when we get to texts like this, I've got to say, I assume that there are two very different responses that people have. First, there's the kind of Western secular response. If you were raised in the West, you were discipled to think that there is nothing more than this. There's nothing more than the material world. That's the the Western mindset. And so we try to live without anything transcendent, without anything other. Um, Here's the thing. No one I actually know consistently lives like that. No one lives as though this is all that there is. We all believe in things that aren't material, things like goodness, meaning, purpose, human rights and truth. These are things that you can't put under a microscope. But when we come to texts like this, that instinct kicks in. We we like to think that there is nothing more than this. And so if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you a little bit to maybe expand your horizons, to consider the possibility that there is something bigger than this world. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Isn't that what uh, Hamlet says? Now, I don't want to suggest to you this morning that that means that you have to start treating horror movies like documentaries. I'm not saying that. The Bible tells us that there is evil and there is an evil one at work. But his work in this world is generally incredibly boring and mundane. The ruler of this age, as we hear Paul describe uh, the evil one, his big work is simply to blind people from the truth. Unbelief. Turning away from Jesus, that is his big work. So that's the first group of people, I reckon, who are here today. But I'm not sure that that's everyone here this morning, and actually maybe not even the majority of people here this morning. I think there are a lot of us here who were born or raised beyond the borders of Australia and you find that secular way of thinking just that little bit odd. You have a worldview which of course includes the spiritual realm. So when you get to Jesus driving out demons, it doesn't offend your sensibilities at all. In fact, this is part of the world that you know to be true. Actually... It's not something that you really like thinking about because it's just that little bit terrifying. Now, for some of us, you know, those of us who are raised in the West, if we're tempted to downplay it, here's the opposite problem. We might wrongly give evil spirits more power than they actually have. And in this passage, I want to tell you that there is some good news. Really, what we're hearing is that Jesus is more powerful than evil. That lies at the heart of his debate with the Pharisees. Come and see it with me in the text. Jesus heals that demon-possessed man. He clears out the evil spirit, removes him from him. But listen to the way that the Pharisees respond. Verse 24, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Now, I want you to notice that the Pharisees aren't saying, oh, look, We don't think the miracle's authentic. We don't think it actually happened. They've got no problem with the fact that Jesus has healed this man. But they suggest that he's done it by demonic power. He's in cahoots with the evil one himself. And Jesus' response is to poke some pretty big and obvious holes in that accusation. Uh, First, come down to verse 25. 
Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? Um, That's a pretty good argument, don't you think? Uh, Jesus can't be using the power of the evil one to drive out the evil one because it's kind of like Satan punching himself in the face, right? It just doesn't kind of work. Jesus isn't working for the evil one because obviously he's working against the evil one. And in verse 28, if you follow along, Jesus takes them to what that logically means. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. If it's not the devil's power, if it is actually God's Spirit and his power, then that means God's kingdom has really come. Now, when you read the Gospels, uh, they tell us that when Jesus came, there was this uh, clash of kingdoms. Jesus and his kingdom hits up against the kingdom of the evil one. And in texts like this one, we see just a little skirmish in the bigger war. Because every moment in the Gospels that you meet a demon and you see Jesus liberate someone from a demon... What you're seeing is Jesus invading the kingdom of evil and pushing back its borders one step at a time. Jesus isn't casting out demons by the power of the evil one. He's bringing in God's kingdom by the power of the Spirit of God. Okay, that was the first rebuttal. He's um, bringing in God's kingdom by the, the Spirit's power. But there's another rebuttal he gives, and I think this one's pretty great too. Verse 29, or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Again, pretty easy to work out what Jesus is saying, don't you think? If you're going to go rob a guy who kind of works out at the gym... Probably a good idea to do something about him first so that you can get his stuff. Do you you get the idea? It's pretty straightforward and simple. Um, I don't know if you, a couple of years ago, heard the story of Willie Murphy. Did anyone hear this fantastic story? Uh, She is an 82-year-old bodybuilder from Rochester, New York. And um, she made the headlines a little while back for beating up a 29-year-old male intruder. Uh, who broke into her house. She wrestled him to the ground, apparently, breaking her kitchen table in the process, eventually getting on top of him and hitting him with the metal leg of the table. And she held him there until the police came. Uh, In Willie's own words, I think he was real glad to see that ambulance. (laughs) You get the point? The the point is, if you're going to try and take someone from a strong man or a strong woman, you need to do something about them first. Jesus is the stronger one who brings in the kingdom. He deals with the strong man. He ties him up and releases those that he had enslaved. Now I want to stop here and just uh, talk to those who are frightened of evil. Uh, Maybe because of experiences you've had. Or because of what you've heard or maybe even what you've been told. Uh, I want you to see in this text the Lord Jesus. He's not fighting against evil forces and getting away with it by the skin of his teeth. He is the stronger one. 
And the New Testament says that it's at the cross of Jesus that the decisive blow to Satan and his power was dealt. And what that means is that if you belong to Jesus, you're not at the whims of evil forces, you're not their captive, you do not belong to them, you belong to the stronger one. Hear that good, good news. So friends, that's the context, that's the setup. And I want you now to come through and have a look at the warning, now that we've set it up. Verse 30. I think this verse is actually kind of central to the whole passage. Um, Jesus says this, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. I think that's the very heart of the passage and what it's about. Jesus is simply saying to the Pharisees, Are you with me or aren't you? Pick a side. What are you going to do? You see, there's no kind of place here for polite religious neutrality. Either you think Jesus is king or you don't. And it's in that context that you come to that warning. Verse 31. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. There's the warning. And I actually hope that some of that context is helping us to see it a bit differently. Uh, years back when Emma was teaching Sunday school, uh, she was cleaning out a Sunday school cupboard and um, I was helping her, you know, as much as I possibly can. And she's found all these prizes for the kids. Um, I don't know if you've seen those daggy Christian bookmarks which have happy birthday, a picture of a bird in a nest and then a Bible verse down the bottom. You're getting the idea of the, the prizes and what they were? One of them, I saw it, it had happy birthday, bird in the nest, and down the bottom it said, today is a great day, exclamation mark. I thought that's a, that's a fascinating verse, comes from the book of Chronicles. I went, interesting, I wonder what the full context for that verse is. The full context is, uh, today is a great day because we've slaughtered the army of the Amalekites. <laughs> when you pull things out of their context, do you you kind of remove them from what they really mean. To understand this warning rightly, you need to have it in the flow of the text that we've just read. You need to see the shape of the surrounding passage to see what's going on. Jesus has been speaking to the Pharisees, to people who are settled in their hostility and opposition to Jesus. I mean, so much so, they have just seen Jesus with their very eyes, their very own eyes, heal a man, and instead of saying, wow, that is incredible, who are you? They say, oh, this guy is doing that by the power of the evil one himself. They deny the fact that Jesus is the spirit-empowered king of the kingdom. Instead, they accuse him of being an agent of the evil one. And so they attribute to the devil what God's spirit is doing through Jesus. That is the blasphemy against the Spirit. Do you see? They're determined and settled opposition to the person of Jesus, regardless of the evidence that is clearly there before him. They see it. They don't care. He's simply not going to be their king. Now, friends, with that understanding of the unforgivable sin, I, um, I think I should quote to you from this guy, Matthew Henry. I think he's got this little bit of pastoral wisdom from a few hundred years ago that I think still stands. He said of this text, 
Those who fear that they've committed the unforgivable sin give a good sign that they simply have not. If you're worried that you've committed it, you probably haven't. You see, if you're someone who's committed the unforgivable, unforgivable sin, you simply would not care that you've passed that point of no return. You are so determined in your opposition to Jesus that it does not bother you that you've committed it. Now, last year we looked at uh, the book of Hebrews and you might remember that that book is riddled with these very serious and very heavy warnings about people who tasted a little bit of the gospel, but then they spat it out and they couldn't stand it and they couldn't stand for anyone else to have it. And that person, the person who does that, their heart has become so hard that it simply won't soften. No matter the evidence, there will be no changing them. Now, last year I was watching this TV show called Tomorrow Tonight. Um, it was this kind of light panel TV show hosted by Annabelle Crabb. And uh, the, the idea was that in this kind of lighthearted way, they would explore some hypothetical question. And the question that I'd heard was on the panel that night was, if you could know for sure that God existed, would you become religious? And actually, um, you know, obviously I've got some professional interest in that question, so I turned it on. Um, actually, when I watched the show, it was a little more pointed. They said, if you could know for sure that God existed, or that Jesus rose from the dead, would you be a Christian? Now, Walid Ali was on the panel, right? Muslim guy, as you might know. And he said, to his credit, absolutely, of course. I think that would be the only option. I would have to become a Christian. If there was that evidence that I, I could find, I would, I would become one. I was really surprised when the other panelists said, actually, all of them, no, I wouldn't. Not even with evidence, not, not even with all of it clearly proven beyond even a shadow of a doubt. One of them said, no, I just wouldn't want to. Well, at least they were honest. Now, let me say, in response to the TV show, I felt incredibly troubled, and I realised, look, there's a lot behind that response. There's cultural misunderstanding of Jesus. There's anger at the church and what it has done, whether that anger is right or wrong. But after watching it, I just felt really uncomfortable. Because even without, with evidence, incontrovertible evidence, they wouldn't bow the knee to Jesus. Friends, I actually reckon... That's who would find, should find these words troubling. If you've set yourself against Jesus and nothing can shake you, nothing can persuade you, wow. Now, one of the commentators on this passage, he actually calls the, uh, the warning of the unforgivable sin a gracious warning. And when I first read that, I thought he might be overstating things a little bit. But as you read the verses you will notice that twice we're told about things that will be forgiven. Do you notice that in the verses? Twice we're told about what can be forgiven. Actually, in verse 31, I want you to notice this, every sin can be forgiven. I've got to say that every is a wonderfully wide word, don't you think? That covers a lot. What about um, driving under the influence? Can that be forgiven? Yes, yes, that can be forgiven. Uh, cheating on your assignment at uni. 
Can that be forgiven if you've done that? Yes. Every sin can be forgiven. Getting your girlfriend pregnant, could that be forgiven? Yes, every sin can be forgiven. Uh, What about that person that you hate and you struggle to forgive them? Could that be forgiven? Yes, yes, every sin can be forgiven. Every sin will be forgiven one day because we know that, and these are Paul's words, this saying is true and worthy of all acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Sinners like us. Every sin can be forgiven. And that what, that's what makes what the Pharisees are doing here even more sad and tragic, unforgivable even. To turn your back on the forgiveness that Jesus is offering. To turn your back on the forgiveness that he brings as he gives his life for us. Friends, I think it is a tragedy to turn away from the forgiveness that is on offer in Jesus. And so today I implore you, turn to him and see that Jesus is king. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you for the wide mercy the wide mercy that you show us in Jesus. But Father, we ask that you might soften our hard hearts so that we might take hold of your Son, the Lord Jesus, and in him find forgiveness. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.